Thank you so much for coming today. We're so happy you could join us. It's our last major event for the project, but the project continues until June. Um, we, the launch of the project was uh, just under two years ago, so we got, we got the funding just shy of two years ago, um, and we're one of 17 projects uh, across the UK focused on reducing attainment gaps uh, or closing attainment gaps. So our project is fully titled Changing Mindsets, Reducing Stereotype Threat and Implicit Bias as Barriers to Student Success. And our project is funded by the Office of Students, formerly HEFGE. Um, and our project partners here in the room as well will present today include University of Brighton, Uni University of Arts London, and University of Winchester. And I should say, I'm sorry, I'm Jessica from the University of Portsmouth. So we're really pleased to be able to share with you today some of our findings across the project, especially focused on staff and students working in partnership uh, to eliminate inequalities uh, for stu the student, uh, student experience. That is our, our Twitter um, uh, if you'd like to tweet at us or with us. Uh, so the, the Changing Mindsets uh, project, like I said, is one of 17 Office of Students funded projects focused on closing attainment gaps currently underway. Um, we all sort of launched about the same time. We'll be finishing in June. Some will be finishing uh, in September, but that's all of them shall be wrapped up by September. Um, the Changing Mindsets intervention in particular is a student and staff workshop-based intervention that builds a growth mindset, the belief that ability develops through effort and by embracing challenge. And I'll talk a little bit more about what that means. Um, and uh, it was initially developed by Professor Hoskins in, at the University of Portsmouth in 2012. So the intervention aims to close the attainment gap in student experience, retention, progression, academic attainment, and employability by changing mindsets and eroding stereotype threat and implicit bias as barriers to learning. So it is a combination of um, implicit theories of intelligence, growth mindset work, as well as uh, implicit bias, habit-breaking work. And I will explain what that means a little bit. This is kind of the me and Juan show this morning. Juan will be joining uh, shortly. Um, so you'll get a lot of my voice, sorry. <laughs> um, if you, may, you may already be familiar with the national gaps by the numbers. So uh, home, so UK, EU, BME students are 15% less likely to receive a first or 2-1 compared to their home or EU white peers. That's, that uh, maintains even if you control for incoming um, qualifications. So that, that number is maintained even if you control for uh, results at A-levels or results on uh, BTECs, their incoming qualifications, their tariff points. Uh, students from the least advantaged backgrounds are 14% less likely to receive a first or a 2-1 compared to students from more advantaged backgrounds. That's measured by uh, the POLAR data. Oh, I always forget what POLAR stands for. Um, it's, the, it's by the postcode in which students grow up in. Apologies. So if a student comes from a postcode where they're the least likely to go to university, they're also 14% less likely to receive a first or two one if they do go to university compared to students from the most likely uh, to go to university postcodes. Does that everyone make sense? I mean, it doesn't make sense, but you know what I'm saying. Um, black students specifically are 50% more likely to withdraw from university in England compared with their white and Asian peers. And 8.8% of students from low socioeconomic backgrounds withdraw from university compared with less than 5% withdrawal rates from students from more advantaged backgrounds. These are just four of pretty uh, terrible stark figures. We have more in our mid-project report and more in a blog post written by um, Dr. Arif Mahmoud who's here. Um, so that's just four of the figures we're talking about today, but we are talking about uh, inequalities across the student experience. So while we are focused on outcomes, we're also talking about what it means when there's access differentials and what it means when there's experience differentials, what it means when there's graduate outcome differentials. So it's not just about outcomes, but inequalities uh, across the range of the student experience. That 15% that I just talked about here, um, the BME attainment gap 15% actually hides a wide variety of attainment gaps by race ethnicity. 
So um, the, as you can see, the Equalities Challenge Unit, before it got, uh, became part of Advance HE, put this out uh, in 2017, looking at the attainment gaps uh, specifically by race ethnicity. Um, and the degree attainment gap was most pronounced between black male graduates and white female graduates. White female graduates were over 29% more likely to get a first or a 2-1 than black male graduates across the UK. So that 15% hides uh, huge variations by race and by gender. I'll give you a minute, I'm taking pictures. Um, this, this came out, uh, like I said, in 2017. So this, this has been out there, but how, how much information did you already know coming in here? So a lot of you probably already knew a lot of this since um, you're here. But, but this is the, 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 the pronounced problem. It's not just that 15%, but what is that 15% as an average um, hiding as far as variations in those gaps? There's also employment and income gaps. As I was talking about, working class students are less likely to be employed in as high paying jobs as their middle class peers after graduation. In fact, they're more likely to be employed in non-graduate jobs. Findings from the ONS uh, Labor Force Survey, uh, analyzed by the Trade Union Congress, showed that the pay gap between all black, Asian, minority ethnic workers with degrees and white graduates with, with the same degrees was 10.3%. But that figure is significantly worse for black graduates specifically. Findings showed that black workers with degrees earned more than 23% less than white workers with degrees. When we started this project as a partnership, these were our, our BME attainment gaps. I'm happy to say our gaps have gone down. Um, Portsmouth is now at 14%. Uh, UAL is now at, is it 16%? 18% and, and going down. Um, but this is where we started. So as a project partnership, this was the numbers that we started with as a commitment to, to work towards reducing it and hopefully eventually eliminating. So one thing I wanna focus on today for today's event is what it means for staff and students to work in partnership to tackle differential outcomes. What you'll see around the room are three questions. We're going to focus today a lot on these three questions. What examples do you have to share of staff and students working in partnership to address or eliminate, hopefully eliminate, inequalities in higher education? What does effective and equal partnership look like? And what more could be done to enable effective partnerships uh, in addressing and eliminating inequalities? Across our partnership, uh, all of our institutions have worked with students as partners um, in, in the shaping of our intervention, in the delivery of our intervention, in the evaluation of our intervention. Um, but we could always be doing more and we could always be doing better as a sector or even um, within our own projects. So these are the three questions we want to focus on today. We will be asking you uh, right before lunch to think about that in groups and uh, to put some sticky notes to ideas on some of these boards. Um, but this will be the focus of today's talk, uh, today's whole, whole day, is how can we um, work better in partnership. And not just in a tokenistic way, not in a way that uses labor without recognition, but in a way that's equal, in a way that, um, um, that is, there's more of a balance uh, between, the staff, between staff and students uh, working towards eliminating inequalities. That is the uh, opening. So any questions about that before Juan and I, so I'll do a little bit and then Juan and I will do a little bit, but it is the me show, unfortunately, for the most part this morning. <laughs> so, any questions about just overall about the, okay, that's okay. Um, I'm happy to keep going as long as you're happy to keep hearing my voice. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about what we mean when we say implicit theories of intelligence, um, growth mindset. What does that mean? And also what does that mean when it's tied with uh, implicit bias habit breaking? So you've probably heard of uh, implicit bias training. That's usually awareness training. What we do is we focus on what does it mean to break the habit of bias. Bias is a habit. 
It's a habit we all have. We all walked in this room biased. We will not walk out of this room unbiased. So I hope we're all on that same page. Um, and so it's thinking differently about bias, particularly implicit bias. Differently, as it, of course, it's different from explicit bias. Um, but there are connections between mindsets and bias. So what is mindset theory? Implicit theories of intelligence. Um, growth mindset is the belief that intelligence is malleable and can be developed through hard work and persistence. The idea that you're not born with a certain level of intelligence. Uh, intelligence changes over time, and it changes uh, by the work that we do to learn new things. A fixed mindset is the belief that intelligence is something you're born with and can't change, um, that you can't, you can't do anything about it. That's what you have, and you can't get better than that. Um, but mindset theory is not one or the other. You don't have a growth mindset or a fixed mindset. Um, you might have a more growth mindset about a subject you love, or you might have a, a fixed mindset about a subject that you feel challenged by. Uh, for example, who loves mathematics? Yep, a couple hands. Excellent. Who is not a big fan? Not a big fan of mathematics. To be honest here. Yeah, okay. Um, so you might have, if you were younger, been a fan of mathematics, but then something was said, something was done, something happened that changed how you felt about mathematics. So for example, if someone said, it's okay, it's okay that you're struggling. Girls are not good at maths. That we know from research can change how women and girls perform in mathematics, right? So they might have had a, a growth mindset to start with. Love maths. Can't wait. And then as soon as someone convinces them that something innate about them changes their ability, they can become more fixed mindset about that topic. It all, it's all it takes. So it's not, it's not, you don't have growth or fixed mindset. It also depends on the day and the subject. So at a given point in the day, you might be really enthusiastic about um, preparing to teach, for example, if you're a staff member who teaches, and really unenthusiastic about, um, I don't know, paperwork. I don't know, I don't know if you have a growth mindset about doing paperwork. But the point is, is that you could have, you could have a, a more growth mindset, more enthusiasm at, at a different point uh, during, during your every day even. But what does that mean for learning? So what we know from research is that when a student, and a student, when I say student, I mean any time in the learning experience, because obviously we don't stop learning when we graduate. So anytime you're learning, if your learning is focused on improvement and interest, you're, you're more likely to be um, growth mindset about that subject area. If you're more fixed mindset about a subject area, learning is more focused on performance and looking clever. Um, just trying to look clever. Um, say something that sounds smart rather than ask a question you're worried might be dumb. Um, if you're more growth mindset about a subject, you can see mistakes as just part of learning and information you need to grow. It's not personal. You made a mistake and you learned from that mistake and you moved on. On the more growth mindset end of the spectrum, mistakes are, are embarrassing and could feel like a sign of low ability and might lead to avoidant behavior. I'm not going to do my maths homework because I'm terrible at it, so I'll save it and won't do it. And I try to tackle it at the last minute. Um, and um, of course, I struggle because I'm not good at it. If you have a more growth mindset um, uh, approach to the subject you're studying, challenges are welcome. Trying to do the impossible task is welcome and might offer a sense of achievement. On the other side, if you're more fixed mindset about that learning, challenges are a risk that could lead uh, to failure and may not be worth taking, a risk not worth taking. On the more growth mindset side, effort is seen as necessary, and a learner might change their strategies if this first strategy doesn't work. We know this from um, uh, anyone who's an artist, anyone who's a musician, anyone who's an athlete. Any musicians, athletes, or artists in the room? Good, good. We know that to be a good athlete, it takes practice and, and continual practice. It's not one and done. I've learned to ride a bike, now I'm going to cycle in the Olympics. It's not how it works, right? So we know that it takes hard work over time, and you can't stop that hard work. You always have to continue. But that's true for every subject. On the other side, effort is seen as more of a, a sign of low ability. If you put effort in, you must not be good at it, which is counterintuitive. But we hear that sometimes for those of us who teach from students. 
um, you know, even sometimes bragging, oh, I only wrote that last minute. Because, because if effort is a sign of uh, low ability, then you have to pretend that you didn't put effort in. Does, that, does this reflect any of, the, the, of your own experience, of the experience you've had with your students or your peers? So that's the sort of understanding of, of mindset when it relates to learning. So now I have a task for you. If you've seen this already, uh, pretend you haven't, so don't give it away. Has anybody seen this? A couple hands, okay. Um, for those of you who haven't seen it, I'd like you to take a few minutes to try to solve the puzzle. This is a Google puzzle they have used to give during their interview, so they just a few minutes to try to solve the puzzle. Go ahead. You can break out calculators, that's all right. You can write things down. I see a few people calculating. Who's, who's trying to scribble some ideas, trying to do some... Anybody giving it a go? Good. Like, I like to see that. Yeah, some folks are giving it a go. I'm getting in the way of this camera. I forgot it's right there. <laughs> it's going to be a real close-up of me. We're only filming the speaker, so don't worry. Don't worry. So a few people are giving it a go. Um, anybody else want to give it a go? Yep, you, you're trying to work it out? Okay. Do you think you know what the answer is? Oh, yeah. Okay. Have you seen it already? Yes, have you seen this? Have you seen this puzzle? No. Okay. What, we, what is the answer? No. <laughs> but it's a good guess. Anybody else want to give a go? Wrong guesses are fine. I'm going to give the answer, so if anybody wants to try to work it on their own, they'll have to close their ears, because you're welcome to keep trying to work it out without me. Okay, so we've run this uh, with hundreds of staff and students now, uh, at Portsmouth specifically. We've had 14 people get it right. So if you're not able to get it, you're in very good company. You're in great company. The answer isn't what's important, actually. And I'll tell you the answer in a minute, but what's important is whether you try. So when we were faced with numbers, who was like, nope, immediately? Who was nope, immediately? Yeah, you can you admit it. Numbers were like, no, thank you. No, I won't, I won't try. Okay. A few were nope, immediately. Um, who were like, I'll try one strategy, but if that doesn't work, I'll wait for the answer. Anybody just wait for the answer? Yes. Because you didn't know it was going to be this interactive this early in the morning. Um, the, the lesson here is not what the answer is, and I'll tell you what it is in a minute so you know, but the lesson is more we expect um, when we're teaching for our students to take on a, a seemingly challenging tasks outside of their comfort zone. We want them to push boundaries, to become better critical thinkers, to, to, to think differently about something they thought was a known fact. But often we're not willing to do that ourselves uh, for the staff in the room. It's hard to do. We're, I'm asking you if, you, if you don't like maths, to take on a task that is actually quite a challenge um, and is probably outside of many comfort zones. We expect that of our students, and not just in maths. We expect our students to think, uh, to challenge their thinking, um, their known facts about the world, about life, about inequalities even. Uh, but we're not always willing to do that ourselves. So think, thinking about when, it, when a student is struggling, if a student's just sitting in our class waiting for us to tell the answer, and I'm sure we hate when no one's willing to give it a go, what are we modeling then? When we're, for those of staff who are staff in the room, as far as how we teach and how we think and how we learn. What is learning then for us? And how do we expect our students to then uh, go outside of their own comfort zones and to, to think differently about challenges being welcome, even if you can't get the answer? The answer is not necessarily mathematical. 10 is T-E-N in English, three, number, three, three letters. 9 is N-I-N-E, four letters. 60 is five letters. 90 is six letters. So we know where we're going with that. 
So there's, a mul there's multiple answers, but it's about any number that, when spelled out in English, is nine letters. So that is the answer. But it, you can tell the answer isn't important. It's, it's interesting, but it's not the important thing. What are we doing when we are modeling learning in our class? How do we expect our students to think differently, to go outside of their comfort zones if we are not always willing ourselves? So that's, that's part of that, that lesson there. We know about uh, the evidence around growth mindsets uh, work. So growth, mind inter growth mindset interventions have been shown to increase attainment among students, to increase student effort, to improve student motivation, to suppress stereotype effects. And that's really an important part, obviously, about this project as well. And I'll talk about what that means if, you don't, if you're not familiar with that term. But it's also not all about the students. So it's also about, for those of us teaching in the classroom, uh, it's about our mindset. It's about our focus um, on learning and what we think mistakes are made of. If we see mistakes as part of learning, as part of the productive part of learning, as opposed to a bad thing. So it's thinking differently about what can we do, what can our students do? They can't do this yet. This doesn't work yet. I don't know it yet. Does that make sense? There's a lot of references in our mid-project report. So if you, if you missed some of these, well, I'll be giving the, the link to the report as well. So that connects again to the work on the other side of the project. These are two parts of a, of a larger project. And I will say that not all the projects had to have a staff component. We were only required to have a student component. And we thought that that wasn't adequate. I don't think, um, I do not believe that it's the student needs fixing, but the system. And I think that that's something that our whole project agrees on. The student needs supporting, but it's the system that needs fixing. And to fix the system, we can't focus only on the students. That's why this is both a staff and student project. So what is stereotype? I think this is, these are terms we're, we're mostly familiar with, I would say, in the room. So a widely held but, but fixed and oversimplified image or idea of a particular type of person or thing. Um, Stereotypes are not just about people. We could have stereotypes. Did anybody grow up in a space where, uh, in a country where snakes or spiders were dangerous? Yeah. Any, uh, are those of us who grew up in those countries big fans of snakes and spiders? No. Um, whereas here, I had to get used to when I moved here, the spiders are not going to kill me, and so I don't need to kill them. That was really hard, though. <laughs> that was hard. So we often have stereotypes about things, not just people, and sometimes that's based on uh, a quick decision uh, that could have beneficial effects. But when it's about people, it's not. So it, when it becomes about people, it becomes a problem, becomes a bias. So an, a bias is an inclination or a prejudice for or against one person or group, especially in a way that causes an inequality that is unfair. Um, and bias is, is in multiple forms, including unintentional or implicit bias, but it's also explicit bias. And often when we think of prejudice, we think of bias, we think of explicit bias. We think of KKK, and we think of uh, neo-Nazis, and we think of um, some of the, uh, the hate that we've seen in the media lately, the really overt hate. We think of explicit overt hate. But prejudice comes in many forms. And unintentional bias, also unconscious bias, implicit bias, automatic bias, they all mean the same thing. That refers to attitudes, attitudes or stereotypes that affect our understandings, our actions, our decisions, the way we behave in an unconscious manner, unaligned often with our conscious earnest values. So we could consciously, we do I hope in this room, consciously value equality, want to work towards equality, but that doesn't mean we are free from unintentional bias. It's something that's unaligned with our conscious earnest values. And it is created by culture. It's created by the world that we live in. Uh, it's unavoidable. So it's not, like I said, we didn't walk into this room unbiased, we won't walk out unbiased. But there is possibility to work towards breaking habits that are biased, biased habits. And stereotype threat um, can occur, that is when a, an individual feels at risk of conforming to a negative stereotype 
or at risk of not conforming to a positive stereotype. This goes back again to uh, girls are bad at maths, that stereotype. So if a, if a student, if a girl is, is, is worried that she's going to fulfill that stereotype of being bad at maths, it can impact her performance in maths. So there's been research showing that when, when young women are reminded that girls are bad at maths, that their um, grades go down on tests, uh, mathematics tests. But when they are, are taught that everything's equal, uh, we're all equal, that there's no gendered reason that you should be bad at maths, their grades are better. Similarly, positive stereotypes. So the, stere the, the supposedly positive stereotype, Asian students are great at mathematics. That can impact uh, a student's performance if they're afraid they're not going to fulfill that stereotype. They may not ask for help. They may not um, want to ask questions in class in front of their peers. So it can impact performance either way, whether you're afraid you're going to fulfill a positive stereotype, uh, sorry, a negative stereotype, or not fulfill a positive stereotype. That's what stereotype threat is. And we know from research that growth mindsets interventions can um, mediate the effects of stereotype of threat on, stu uh, on students' performances. So uh, we receive, like computers, but we're not computers obviously, we receive 11 million bits of information every day, our sense data. We take in a lot of information every day. But consciously we can only process a little bit of it, 40 bits. So almost all of the things that we do are, are unconsciously processed. We, it has to be. If you had to think every time you needed to breathe, we would all pass out and die. We have to have automatic functions of our body. So we take in a lot of sense data, we do a lot of processes with our body that's unconscious. But that includes sometimes the way we think about the world and about people. It's a, it's a quick judgment. Um, and that judgment is shaped by culture, it's shaped by how we grew up, it's shaped by the media um, that we consume, whether we like it or not, because some of that media we're not consciously choosing to consume. Think about all the billboards you might have seen on the way over here. So unconscious bias is a huge problem when it comes to the learning environment, but it's a huge problem when it comes to society in general. Um, so that is why we've tied these to the, this project, because we know there's an impact of bias in the learning environment. The research focused on student unintentional bias on teachers' evaluations is plentiful. There's a lot of research on students' bias based on gender. So women um, are more likely to receive negative comments on their student evaluations based on race, based on perceived sexual identity. Just perceiving that your teacher is not straight may impact a student's evaluation of that teacher. We also have plenty of research on unintentional bias of teachers and how that impacts student outcomes. Uh, these are just some of the examples of uh, research on student race and ethnicity, so uh, teachers' bias based on race, um, and, and based on gender and race combined. So this is just a sampling. of There's plenty out there. A lot of this is also in our mid-project report as well, if you're looking for some of these references. But we know that implicit bias impacts learning environment. We know it has an impact, and so that's why it was important for us to tie these together with this project. There's also impacts around uh, the stereotype threat impact. So even uh, in standardized testing that people believe are quote-unquote culture-free, you know, um, I have a lot to say about uh, blind marking not truly being blind, but we know that stereotype threat has impacted uh, student performance uh, for BME students, for black minority ethnic students, for students from low socioeconomic backgrounds, uh, women in maths, and this, this one study focused, or two studies focused on White males when faced with the notion of Asian superiority in maths. So quite, quite focused, but, um, but stereotype threat has an impact on student performance just as much um, as uh, the bias can as well uh, on the part of the teacher and their peers. Ooh, uh, we're missing the last, huh, sorry. Let me fix this so you can see all four points. There we go. Right. So what do we know? We know that implicit bias, uh, implicit bias have, uh, training will not break bias habits. 
We know that. And, but we also have research to suggest that um, implicit bias training can work towards reducing bias habits. It's a start. The only way to break bias habits, though, it is not only a training or an awareness uh, of what you can do to break those habits, but there has to be motivation personally to overcome the biases. Going to an implicit bias uh, training session is, is, for some people, a tick box exercise, and they're not going to do anything after that. It, can't, it has to be more than that, or the bias won't be broken. Uh, there has to be motivation to overcome bias. Um, we each have to be aware of our biases and why they exist. Um, we have to be able to s detect some of the subtle influences of stereotypes, and that is hard, even with training, um, and learning and practicing strategies that reduce bias. So we do talk throughout, um, throughout our project about what it means to, to reduce biased habits using uh, strategies that have been tried and tested through research. And what do we know so far? So, so far we know that students and staff who have completed our surveys, who have a more growth mindset or the most growth, growth mindset end of the spectrum, want to work towards creating inclusion and want to work towards overcoming bias. The staff and students with more fixed mindsets are more likely to hold stereotypical beliefs. There is a tie between mindsets work and bias work. Most staff and students uh, who completed our survey also indicated that they are committed to speaking out against hate and to making all students feel welcome and part of the campus community. But nearly all staff and students also uh, admitted to unintentional stereotypical thoughts. So, and, la and lastly, and this is big for today, our initial findings indicate that most staff and students want to work actively towards creating inclusion. So that's why we're focusing today on what can we do to enable better partnership, uh, more equal partnership, to work towards that together, staff and students. That is my first part of that. So um, we'll save questions for actually after Juan and I present. But this, if you've got a, uh, yeah, a smartphone, this QR code, whether you um, have a QR code or reader or not, you can just open your, yeah, you can open the photo app and we'll um, take you right to our mid-project report. So uh, thank you, and one will come up here and we'll do, we'll do the next.